Our primary reading this morning comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The word of the Lord. In the cult classic film Mean Girls, three popular high school students known as the Plastics befriend a girl named Katie who is new to the school. She had formerly lived in Africa and she was completely new to the world of high school cliques. At the request of two outcasts in the school, Katie decides to infiltrate the plastics and pretend to be their friend, all the while feeding information back to the people she was spying for. Pranks were played, sabotage ensued, and the entire school was brought into the feud. Everyone became part of the fighting. Things moved very quickly from a private issue between a few people to school-wide chaos. Absolutely everyone, from the principal down, was impacted. Now, I don't know about you, but I have felt like I was in a scene of mean girls in past Christian communities. The slander wasn't quite so blatant. There was no burn book, like in the movie, filled with horrible comments. But there was backbiting. There was judging. There was harm and pain that festered until it led to staff resignations, mine included. I know that my story is not unique. 
you think if you're with Christians, then surely the environment will be different. Surely there will be a basic starting point of giving another person the benefit of the doubt and treating others with kindness. Instead, what many of us find is that those of us who try to come from that starting point get trampled in someone else's pursuit of power and control. And that trampling is often fueled by jealousy. Jealousy always breeds emotional violence, both to the one that's possessed by it and to the one that the jealousy is directed toward. The author of James saw this in the Christian community he was writing to, and he sought to ward off catastrophe before it came. He says destruction is the result of infighting, and he went so far as to call what was happening among his community murderous. Now, his language is jolting to us today as we read it, but he was foreseeing what would happen if jealousy was taken to its natural end. In this chapter, James is calling the community to wake up to what is happening in their midst, to stop their behavior before it is too late. Let's look at verses one through six. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. James first points out that all of these issues being created in the community have their origins in the hearts of those who are causing the problems. He's seeking to unmask internal motivations, and he gives people a chance to repent. He names their sins as jealousy and greed, and then he says their prayers have been ineffective as a result. It's important to note James is speaking to a very specific group of people in this community, It's a group that is self-centered. They're trying to make everything that happens around them about themselves. They're greedy. They're not content with what they have. They're desiring more and more and more, and they'll step on anyone to get what they want. James also may be addressing what we saw in chapter three, this idea of a pursuit of power and gaining followership. There were those in the community that sought to attain status at the expense of everyone else. When James says these people's prayers aren't answered because they're not asking correctly, he is not talking about all people's prayers. He's not in any way addressing unanswered prayer as a whole. He is talking to a specific group of unhealthy individuals, and he's exposing the futility of praying for what would only fulfill a jealous, selfish agenda. If a person consumed by greed is praying to obtain more, Why would God answer that prayer with a yes? As in all communities, James' audience is a mixed bag. 
There are people there who are healthy and there are people there who are unhealthy. There is good happening among them and there is strife. And this chapter speaks to those who are in selfish pursuit of their own ambition. Now, as we talked about this passage on Tuesday at the sermon discussion group, afterwards, Elizabeth Weising, Pastor Colin, had named this really important through line that they saw through the chapter, and I think it's really helpful. The idea is that this chapter is really a call to decenter oneself in order for healthy community to flourish. To decenter oneself means to stop seeing ourselves as the one that everything revolves around and to seek to make decisions that benefit all. It means to seek the well-being of others. James saw the opposite happening in this community, and he calls it out in order to see a change before it's too late. James then transitions. He makes this really striking statement that I would imagine we have some questions about. He says, to be in friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God. Wow, how does that work, James? I mean, we live in a world, don't we? Are we supposed to be hostile toward the world around us? Are we supposed to isolate ourselves? Well, no, but for many Christians, that's exactly how this verse has been interpreted. It's important to note that when James refers to the world here, he isn't talking about things that are unspiritual or things that are not specifically mentioned in Scripture. He's not talking about this false dichotomy of sacred and secular that many of us were raised with. I like how commentator Ben Witherington defines the world in this passage. He says, it's the whole system of humanity, institutions, structures, values, and more, as organized without God. And that's the key, organized without God. James is addressing an intimacy in his congregation that is shared with these harmful systems. The heart of God was not anywhere to be found in these systems. And when James speaks of friendship with the world, he means a closeness. He means seeing a reflection of or an illumination of these very systems. See, friendship in the Greco-Roman world didn't mean people you talked to or kind of hung out with now and then. It meant an intimate, close relationship. James sees these systems of corruption and power and self-promotion intimately reflected in members of the Christian community, and he calls it out. He says, if that's how you're going to live, then you are choosing to live in enmity against God because you're aligning yourselves with all that God is against. See, the way of the kingdom, as we know, is opposite to the systems of the world. We could even say it's upside down. In this kingdom, the least are called the greatest, and the last are the first, and the marginalized are brought right to the center. The disabled are invited to the kingdom's banquet, and the poor are valued. And James says those who belong to God cannot play both sides as though they are in the upside-down kingdom and operating according to the systems of the world. Our first reading today from the Old Testament was a poignant example of someone who became intimate with the pursuit of power and allowed jealousy to poison him. In that passage, we looked at an episode from the life of Israel's first king, Saul. I find it very painful to study Saul's life because he started out so well. He started out humble and ready to serve his nation. And then a young 
handsome, gifted man named David entered his orbit. And at first, Saul was charmed. He even employed him to play the harp to calm him. But how quickly that charm turned to jealousy as David gained popularity, as David's gifts began to shine. And so Saul sought to end his life. Consumed by envy, Saul brought a a destruction on himself. He caused immeasurable pain to David, to his son, to the entire nation. And eventually he died in battle, falling on his own sword without peace. Saul's murderous jealousy is a prime example of how these systems of the world shape a person to an unidentifiable nature. The reach of this type of envy is vast. When we read James' injunctions and we look at examples such as Saul, I have to ask, where do we see destructive jealousy and greed and the pursuit of power in the church as a whole today? Maybe a better question is, where do we not see it? Christianity has a history of playing by the rules of the world just as James warned against. We have only to look at how the church changed once it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. We think of the Crusades and the ruthless killing that was done in the name of the conversion of nations. Closer to home, we think of the culture wars that the church entered into and how we can trace the church's involvement in politics right back to a lust for power. We see entire systems put in place to condemn and restrain people and keep the power in the hands of a few. I think of a former megachurch in the Pacific Northwest that I won't name, but I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The thirst for power was so thick in the preaching and teaching of that place, you can almost feel it as you listen to sermons from the pulpit. Some of the most abhorrent teachings, in my opinion, that were given from that church were directed towards women, demanding that women not work jobs, even dictating how they should act in the bedroom. And these were presented as truths from God. False exhortations such as these were sold to communities as God's ultimate truth. And they were designed to create a cookie-cutter group of people that were submissive and repressed and unempowered and under the false authority of one person. Friends, this is what James is speaking of in chapter 3 when he says teachers will be judged more harshly. Because these types of teaching cause immeasurable pain, they cause trauma and long-standing suffering, and they are examples of enmity with God that James names. And yet they've claimed to be from God's very voice. Now I know that there are many here in this congregation that have endured great pain at the hands of harmful church leaders and harmful teachings. Some of you have been shamed for questioning for daring to think for yourself, for having doubts. Some of you have been called names. You've been excommunicated or slandered. You've been the targets of bitter jealousy. You've seen firsthand what James was foreseeing and warning against. I want you to hear very clearly that James is saying it wasn't meant to be this way. Those who greedily sought power and control and unjust loyalty were not the representatives of God to you. James says it's very much the opposite. The harm you've been caused does not come from God and it grieves his heart. See, James could see. He could see what was ahead. 
if things continued as they were. And so he issues this loud, jarring warning, basically yelling, stop, stop before it's too late. And then he calls for this complete overhaul in order for change to come. Let's look at that description in verses 7 through 12. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You can almost hear James pleading. He's saying there's this simple solution to all of this pain that greedy and power-hungry, jealous community members have created. He says, just turn to God, submit to God, resist evil because evil will flee from you. God wants to be near you, so come humbly. Wash your hands, make right what you've done wrong, and purify your heart because that's where all of this is coming from. James tells these community members, grieve. Grieve over this. Enter a season of mourning and humility because that's what allows for the restoration of God to come. What would have happened if we'd seen some of these dangerous and painful church examples, what if they had done this? Entered into a season of mourning and weeping and making things right. We see again here in this passage of James this idea of decentering oneself in order for Christian community to thrive. When someone's focus is their own self-promotion at the expense of others, an unhealthy community is sure to form. The kind of community James is addressing, one in which there is slander and backbiting and all manner of harm, is not the community Jesus envisioned. Jesus defined true community as sisters and brothers who love each other. In fact, he said that is how we would be known as his followers. We can't love each other and trample each other at the same time. We can't love each other and be filled with bitter envy towards one another at the same time. And we can't love each other and seek our own promotion when it requires on stepping on others. We can't. This was the challenge to James' audience, and it's a challenge for us as well. It's a challenge for us to name the harm that was done to us and to see that harm as actions of enmity against God instead of blaming God for what we've endured, instead of allowing those distortions to be connected with God in any way in our mind, because sometimes it is easier to blame God. And for those of us who have done the hurting, this chapter challenges us to look deep within and to repent. We can all ask, where is there jealousy and self-seeking in me, and how might that be harming my community? After these really heavy teachings, James will conclude this chapter with a very specific example of people in the community who did center themselves in their own lives and really showed great arrogance. Let's look at verses 13 through 17 as he wraps up the chapter. He says, now listen, 
You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, does this mean that planning is evil? Is James saying thinking ahead is wrong? I don't believe so, and here's why. James is speaking specifically about traveling merchants in the community here. The focus was on business. It was on planning ahead in business. And the idea was that traveling merchants in the community were getting together and boasting about where they were going to go in the future and how much money they were sure they would make. And there was a great sense of identity being wrapped around wealth. They weren't including God in their plans. They believed that they could control the future. And James is simply saying, not so fast. You're like a mist. You're not in control. Life changes. Even the Romans had a humbler perspective than these Christians did. Because Romans would say things like, if it is the will of the gods, before they made plans. And so James takes something really familiar to his listeners and says, if people who don't share our faith can come from that perspective of humility, surely we can too. We're people who don't believe in multiple gods who act on their own whims. We believe in a God who holds the future and holds us in it. And James says, let's remember we are not God, even as we look ahead to the future. And this is how he concludes the chapter. Now, I want to conclude by bringing us back to where we began. Oddly, I want to talk about where Mean Girls ends. Might it have something to say to us that is in line with James? Well, at the end of the movie, Katie realizes that making life miserable for someone else does not make life better for her. She realizes that trying to build herself up by tearing somebody else down does nothing to create good, and she even decides to share her homecoming queen crown with everyone because she believes that generosity is going to do more than jealousy and hoarding attention. She not only apologizes, but she takes real action and decides to live differently, and she really does work toward a healthy community. Now, we've been called to life in healthy Christian community, and this does require decentering ourselves. We recognize that although we do have infinite worth as individuals, we're not the only person that matters, and we seek the well-being of those around us. Our invitation is to rid ourselves of envy and greed, and instead to embrace sincere repentance. We get to make decisions not only for our own benefit now, but for the benefit of those around us. And when each of us does make these intentional efforts, we find ourselves in a community that, although imperfect, can be healthy. This is the invitation we're given. This is what the Spirit of God can enable us to live into. And so my prayer today is that where there are places within us that are clouded, by envy and greed, and greed, that we'll heed James's call to repentance, knowing that God meets us willingly and with grace to help us. My prayer is that those of us who have been wounded by greed and envy and self-seeking would find healing and wholeness. And even that those who wounded us would seek to make things right. And where there is no resolution, 
I pray that we find peace from a God who promises that one day all will be made whole. Let's go to God now in prayer and confession. All right. So far, just one question, and they're going to get off easy, Reverend Sarah. Um, So how do we balance not being friends with the world, as referenced in James, and reaching those in our community with God's mercy? Oh, it's such a good question because what James is talking about is this closeness with systems of power and greed and corruption and the pursuit of our own ambition at the expense of others. And what God calls us to, what the kingdom is all about, is so opposite of that. So reaching in others in our community would mean self-sacrificing. It would mean putting others first. It would mean bringing people into community and truly loving sacrificially. And so I think that's where we see such a distinction between being friends with those systems of the world and actually living out our calling as believers. Okay. Anything else? Do you have a question? Anyone else? (laughs) Just the one this morning. Okay. Well, if you're watching this later on, um, excellent word. Thank you so much for bringing that to us this morning. Um, And if you're watching later on and um, you do have a question, please go ahead and text it in and we will get to those later in the week. Thank you.